From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And a blessed Advent to you and a happy Friday as well. It is Open Line Friday with... Uh, all of us here on EWTN, uh, Jack Williams away today. I'm Tom Price. Glad to be joined by America's favorite theologian, Mr. Colin Donovan. How are you, sir? Hey, it's good to be here, Tom, as always. Good to have you with us. And uh, as you know, the phones tend to heat up a little bit more than usual on Friday. So do give us a call if you've got that theological question that you would love to get answered. And our phone number is 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Colin Donovan, 833 833- 288-3986. If you're listening outside North America, please dial 1 and then 205-271-2985. Or shoot us an email, openline at EWTN.com. If you would, please, in the uh, subject line, put either Friday or Colin or Theology, something to make sure that we can get your question answered on a Friday. A lot of stuff going on. This seems to be a rather short Advent, doesn't it? Uh, it is, and we're about to get into the meat of it as an Advent, looking yeah. forward to the coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. What is it? I think on Sunday is the 17th in the O Antiphons, yes. every day in the Liturgy of the Hours, in the Mass, in the, the opening prayer. There will be some prophetic image from the Old Testament brought up to show how Christ was for, foreshadowed, uh, I think the very first one here, I put the list up because who can remember all of these things, especially <laughs> when they get to a certain age. O wisdom of our God most high will be Sunday. Beautiful. O leader of the house of Israel. O root of Jesse's stem. O king of David. Um, o radiant dawn. O king of all nations and keystone of the church. And O Emmanuel on the 23rd. Mm. And then, of course, at that point, we're up to Christmas Eve. Yeah. So... It's coming quick with that short last week of Advent. And when does a week become a day? Only in the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they're they basing everything on the Sunday after the Feast of St. Andrew. And that's really is what... That's what, what's driving the bus. What's driving the bus. And, you know, it's sort of like Lent. You can, uh, you know, whenever Easter's going to be, they back it out. And here we've had it from February last year. And I think we will this year as well. It'll be a February Lent. Well, as you, as you know, my wife, uh, quite the singer, uh, oh, been is. singing True. for many years, golly, probably since, uh, you know, grade school or something like that. Uh, she is going to be singing tonight uh, locally for one of the Simbanga B uh, masses, which is nine masses that the Filipinos, uh, you know, pursue uh, leading right up to Christmas Eve. So a novena of masses, novena of masses. Exactly. And she'll be singing in Tagalog, which is apparently not the easiest language to to learn. But uh, she does a super job. So she she's learned enough to be able to sing it in Tagalog. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty amazing. That's I pretty think it amazing. is. I think it is. If you've got a question for Colin Donovan, we are here for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. A quick email for you from Patrick now. My daughter is really invested in learning about 
metaphysics. I am, <coughs> excuse me, I am worried that God doesn't fit into that. Can you explain it to me, what metaphysics is, and how can I talk to her about it? Sure. The trouble is, in the world, the term is equivocal. In the church, it's a very narrow and precise meaning. Sometimes people speak of metaphysics as sort of general philosophical things, sometimes even as occult matters. Mm, really? Uh, dealing with, uh, you know, the, the signs in the heavens, the, whether it's the, the tarot or astrology or whatever it is. Uh, those kinds of things sometimes are called metaphysics, which simply means beyond the physical mm. or beyond the physics. We uh -huh. all know what physics is today. It's the laws of nature that control, you know, the rockets when they fly and us as we walk on the earth and gravity holds us down. But metaphysics is go beyond that. So the term is rather equivocal. As used by the church, however, in a usage which goes back to the Greek philosophers such as Aristotle, it refers to what comes before the physical. In other words, we know what causes the physical. We know what causes the child, the parents of the child, and the matter that the parents contribute, which then grows and develops. We know, we know that, but what actually causes ultimately the being of the child or the being of everything that exists, including the universe? Mm. That's what metaphysics addresses, the causes of being. And of course, that is a very Catholic subject because the cause of being has revealed himself to us both to our fathers in the faith, the uh, people of Israel through Moses, but also predominantly and preeminently in his son, Jesus Christ. So this is not a negative thing for Catholics. And in fact, in most uh, preparation for theology requires a study of metaphysics and logic and different philosophical subjects. This is part of the curriculum which the Holy See mandates for seminarians. So there is a legitimate study of this in people like Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas and Catholic philosophers writing in our own day. Hmm. So that kind of a study should be advanced and should be promoted because what it does in the mind of the church is it serves as a handmaid or a servant which helps the church explain theology, to explain the physics, as, you, as it were, the, the things which we actually do in the church. Now, our things are supernatural things in and of themselves, but we can understand them through the natural things which we know. So when the church came up with an explanation for how the, the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ, it used metaphysics as derived from Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas and Peter Lombard and others to explain how there is a total change of substance of the bread and the wine. But yet that which is the appearances, that which we know through the senses, uh -huh. those appearances remain so that we might have faith and believe that Christ is there despite the appearances only, because they are only appearances. The reality is Christ. So metaphysics is very val valuable to the church, to the Catholic, uh, and is in, engaged in many, if not in some respect, all of the explanations of the faith which constitute theology. The faith itself is what the church teaches. Christ was a teacher, the church is a teacher, or magister, magisterium, uh -huh. 
And so that is what is the faith. But theology is the effort to understand the faith, and metaphysics is at its service. Very good. And Patrick, thanks so much uh, for your email. Here's a question now from Brent. I recently spoke to some Protestants who say that one must be baptized only in the name of Jesus, and that saying the names of the Trinity is just listing some titles. How can I respond to this? Well, the best response is that is not a theory that would have been considered by anyone in, in the Christian world, even after the Re- Reformation. Hmm. Uh, so from the various earliest days of the church, the baptism of individuals was in the name of the Holy Trinity. Now, you find other expressions in sacred scripture, but there's no evidence that those are formulaic. The only formulaic expression of it is that which Christ himself gives at the Ascension when he says, go forth and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So there he is, the full doctrine of the Trinity is being given. And it is the the Trinity, it is God, the divine nature, which is going to heal us. Now Christ the mediator, was uh, it was the Lord's mission to be that instrument. Uh-huh. And so we, he has a preeminent role in our salvation, in the liturgy, and so on. But it is God altogether that is doing the work, the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. So this is why the church has always used that formula. It is why when, you know, sadly over time, as people are looking to distinguish themselves from what the church has always taught, they will tend to pick, and you see this historically, will tend to pick one thing, and that becomes the thing that is most important. So baptizing adults only, that's the way to do it. Or baptizing only in the Holy Spirit without water baptism. Or baptizing only in the name of Jesus. But yet the ancient and way which is attested to in Scripture as well as in the fathers of the church and in the history of the church is baptism in the names of the persons of the Trinity. Okay, that's what we do. Uh, Brett, thank you so much uh, for your question. And if you would like to send us an email for a future show, we've got a pretty good-sized mailbag just waiting for your email. Here's the address, openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. We try to uh, handle uh, um, generally two or three emails on each of our live programs, and then uh, every so often we will bring you a mailbag program, and we'll answer a whole bunch of uh, emails that we have received over the last couple of weeks. And again, that address, openline at EWTN.com. In a moment, we're going to be talking with Mike, a first-time caller in St. Louis. Lines are open for you as well at 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. Open line Friday with Colin Donovan on EWTN. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Glad you're with us for Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. That phone number one more once, as Count Basie used to say, and that is 833-288-EWTN, 
288-3986. We'll get to Mike in St. Louis in just a second. Let me tell you about something beautiful now available from EWTN's religious catalog. It's the World Peace Rosary with Queen of Peace Centerpiece. Gorelli Design Studio, in conjunction with EWTN, has created a gorgeous rosary that speaks of the peace that only comes from our Lord Jesus. The World Peace Rosary with Queen of Peace Centerpiece, featuring the six inhabitant continents of the world displayed around Jesus crucified, the Prince of Peace. And on the back of the crucifix, a verse from Holy Scripture that reads, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That, of course, Matthew 5, 9. And in the center of the rosary is Mary, Queen of Peace, watching over the world, inviting an encouraging prayer on the back of the centerpiece of the words, Queen of Peace. Now the beads are smooth, round, clear glass with miraculous metals for the Our Fathers in antique bronze like the crucifix and centerpiece. Now this rosary, as I say, it is stunning. 21 inches weighed when laid flat. It comes in a white gift box and it's available right now at EWTNRC.com. If you're thinking about this as a Christmas gift, you better get after it. EWTNRC.com. If you're ready now, let's uh, go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN, beginning now with Mike, a first-time caller in St. Louis, listening on his Alexa device. Blessed Advent to you, Mike. What's on your mind today, sir? Well, my question is, since I assume that God created the angels and they were in heaven, Mm -hmm. so if the angels had the beatific vision, how is it that some of them could possibly sin? Okay. Uh, the presumption is, no, they did not have the beatific vision, that they had a probation just as as man did. Mm. Uh, we know, of, of course, the story of Adam and Eve. That's quite clear to us, that they were created in justice, and they fell from that justice through accepting the lie of the devil, uh, Adam from Eve and Eve from the devil. Mm-hmm. So, the, the view of the church, and you will find this in those who have written about these uh, the matters, Aquinas and, and even earlier authors, is that the angels were created uh, as they are with their tremendous intellects and strength of will, uh, pure in all respects as Adam and Eve were in their uh, creation as human beings, and that they were, they were offered, they had a chance to decide for or against God. Now, Aquinas explains that because of the clarity of intellect and will of the angels and their lack of materiality, uh, our materiality, our emotions, that this gives us changeability. We can reverse our decisions and we can go back and recover our, our, our grace, our justice, and so on. But the angels, once they had decided, they could, they could only persevere in that decision. So somehow in their first enlightenment and this is supposition or speculation on the part of the of the fathers and later theologians. Uh-huh. The angels were told the plan of God by which they would be saved, and therefore how they would manifest their fidelity to the will of God. This seems to have included the creature man, that God would unite himself to this creature, mixed creature, spirit and matter. Mm-hmm. And this offended the devil, and he said no. And a third of the angels fell. The third is taken from the book of Revelation that where John saw uh, the tail of the dragon swipe a third of the stars from the sky. So 
that was their moral choice. The angels who said, like Michael, whose name is, you know, who is like God, who adhered and, and, and said, Amen, Alleluia, to the, to, to the design of God, they remained faithful. And they were given the beatific vision. And therefore, their nature was elevated by the beatific vision. Whereas the devil's, his nature was corrupted by his own judgment, his own decision. And that's where the break occurs. Now, this happened at the very instant of creation as we would understand it in time. Because as the Council of the Lateran said in twelve the 1200s, that God created everything out of nothing, everything, both spiritual and material, out of nothing at the beginning. So that means that all of the matter that will ever exist was created, and the spiritual beings, the angels. Now, God, obviously, our matter is pre-existing in us, but each soul is received by the individual at their conception. But that was not true of the angels. So the, and, the, and the universe itself is unchanging. This is a, a, an established point in physics, that energy and matter are interchangeable in the totality of both. Uh, although there's back and forth there and things are created and destroyed, in reality, that original creation remains, in a certain quantitative sense, always the same, all, always existing. Likewise, the angels are for all ever fixed by their own choice in this will against God. And they carry it out. They carry it out with the full force of an intellect and will which is greater than any other human being who have, has ever existed. Because their spirits were already greater than the human spirit. And so this is the result of the material evils in the world because what did they do? God had given them, not only in, in that vision, probably he gave them their names, he gave them their missions, yeah, and their missions were to bring that, his will into creation. And therefore, if you, were, if you were created in a certain sense for a function, let's say you were created in order to be, you know, the, the, the greatest scientist ever, but now you are totally corrupted but you still have the wisdom and the strength of the of will of the greatest scientist ever, mm-hmm. which you were created to be, or the greatest this or the greatest that. But now you're using it against the work of God, which means against the creation, against the creatures of God, human creatures and other creatures. This is truly where chaos entered into the world, into the universe. Makes me think of Lex Luthor. Uh, a little bit like that. Yeah. And, you know, we the, the church doesn't try to mix the, the various realities and disciplines like the science and, and so on. But it's quite interesting. When you look at what the cosmologists have said about their studies of the universe, looking back in time through Hubble and Webb and other devices that they, they have used to look at creation, the reason the universe is not uniform, in mm-hmm. other words, homogenous throughout, in other words, nothing would be here, it'd just be this homogenous energy matter mix, mm-hmm. is because something caused a little chaos there at the beginning. Yeah. And so you get the clumpiness of the universe, which makes us possible here on Earth. All right. So it's, uh, it's quite evident that... Uh, Evil was introduced, but Christ came to undo that evil, and he will undo it in us, at least some of us who say yes, 
but he will not undo it necessarily in all because some will say no to the last moment of their of their life. Yeah. Michael, uh, Mike, is that helpful for you, sir? Well, that makes sense if the angels didn't have the beatific vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Appreciate your call. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Going now to Michael in Tulsa, listening on the great Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Hey, Michael, blessed Advent. What's on your mind today, sir? Well, I was wondering, prior to Aristotle, was there a differentiation of soul? I know the United that the uh, humans have what's known as the rational soul, mm-hmm. but through but through our studies and stuff, there's a lot of animals that have some form of intellect, and I was mm-hmm. wondering if that could be rethought that they may have a rational soul as well. Well, you're really in different categories. I was just saying the Church tries not to mix these things, although if you make sense of them, you do get an understanding of of an integral truth, I like to call it. You see how the medievals tried to always piece these people together because Mm -hmm. confident that what God did in creating and all all of his efforts throughout history, all of his activity throughout history, doesn't contradict what he's also revealed through Israel and through Christ. In In the case of the soul, of course... The, uh, in the book of Genesis, we, we are told that God made Adam a living soul. In other words, clearly there's a distinguishing between the, nat- the natures that God made up until that point and that last nature which he made um, in, and created a living soul. So man is the one who has a soul and that concept would have been already known to the jews because of the sacred scripture now when you look at the time frames of course the the jewish tradition is that the the that knowledge was communicated to moses and that it was handed on it was eventually written down uh, especially around the time time of the babylonian exile when they thought hey we have one of these events happen to us again. We're going to lose all of our religious knowledge. And they started writing things down. And so we get the Old Testament as we know it. But that was part of the religious tradition even before then. The, you know, the, the, the five books of Moses, the content of them at least, whether it was written or oral. So that idea of the soul was already known. Aristotle was in 325, so he came along later. But it definitely is an interesting thought to think, it, Aristotle was a smart man, Alexander the Great, who was his sponsor, if you will, and he, because he taught Alexander, he was his tutor, uh-huh. uh, traveled over that, all that part of the world. They must surely have been aware of the revelations claimed by the Jewish people. So there might have been some influence there. And philosophers always marvel at that statement made by Mo- Lord to Moses when he gives his name as, I am who am. Mm. And did Aristotle think of that when he had the idea that there had to be an infinite cause of all that is? He did it on purely natural principles because he saw that you can't have all the causes in the world, in the universe, and such as it was known by him in his day, uh-huh. without a causation of it. And then everything has to have a causation back you know, before it. Well, you you run out of time, or maybe time is infinite. The other solution to that is there had to be an infinite act, and that act was the cause of everything. 
So he didn't have a knowledge of a personal God, except as perhaps he had heard the Jews did. But he did understand from a philosophical logic, there had to be an infinite all-good act to propel all that we see into its causation back to the beginning of all that we see. And it fits perfect with the logic of Revelation. Fascinating. Michael, thank you so much for your call. Glad that you're checking in and listening on the great Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. Uh, They just uh, celebrated a big anniversary, I believe. So, Michael, thanks so much uh, for your call. In a moment, we'll be talking with Joanne, just east of Denver in Colorado. Also, Michelle in Kalamazoo. couple lines open for you as well at 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Still time for your call to Colin Donovan. If you've got a a question uh, of a theological bent, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN radio family, Northern Apostle Radio. That's in Marquette, Michigan, celebrating nine years with us. So congratulations to Faye and Tim Presley and everybody there at WNOA from your friends at EWTN radio. We need some Canadian stations so we could have real Northern Apostles well, that stations would, rather than just these American ones that would be, or, using that or, name. Or, I mean... We've got a couple of stations in Alaska. <laughs> well, that would count. That, that would is, count, actually. That would be far northern stations. Very northern stations. <laughs> Let's go now to uh, Joanne, a first-time caller listening uh, just east of Denver in Colorado, listening on Sirius XM, Channel 130. A blessed advent to you. Joanne, what's on your mind today? Thank you very much for taking my call and being patient with me. Um, I'm a longtime Catholic, and I'm embarrassed that I really don't know the answer to this when we die, mm-hmm. where does our soul go? Okay. Well, let me tell you how Catholic philosophers, theologians, and the Church in her teaching conceive the processes there. We have a biological nature of our, our you know, we think of our body and our soul. Mm-hmm. That's also our substantial nature. But they're two different kinds of realities, the biological can have be dead, but the church doesn't identify the metaphysical death, in other words, the separation of the soul and body necessarily with that moment. So, for instance, for pastoral reasons, the church has always allowed, uh, if, if somebody is called for the priest for an anointing, but they die before the priest goes there, the general principle, if the body is still warm, could be an hour or two even, mm-hmm. then the anointing can be given if you are still present. Or even a baptism. Somebody had asked to be baptized, and you could have done an emergency baptism, but finally they, the person dies. If you are present, I baptize you. So these are called conditional uh, giving of the sacraments. So the church's understanding is that the separation of the body of the soul is not so clinically clear as the physical death, the breakdown of the cardiovascular system so it uh-huh. no longer functions, or even the new standard of brain death, that there could be, uh, uh, there, there 
brain death could be used as a standard of judgment of there. Okay. So, but when the soul had separated, we're quite clear on what happens then. In the letter to the Hebrews, we're told, it is appointed to man to die once and after which the judgment. In other words, the personal judgment by Christ will be done for each of us after our death. In other words, after the separation of our soul from our body, not necessarily in the instant of biological death. Mm-hmm. And so that that's where the, that's where his soul would have gone. It would have gone before Christ, uh, and it would received his personal judgment. In other words, you know, come into my kingdom, good and faithful servant, or come into my kingdom, good and faithful servant. But you need a little washing up, and so you'll spend some time in purgatory. The mud room. Yeah. In the mud room, yes. Or out of my sight, you you know, vicious one. Yeah. So that's where one of those judgments, that's where those judgments will be, be rendered. Okay. Because ultimately Christ is the judge. He told us he did not come to judge, but he will come to judge. And we profess this in the creed, and he shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Yes. Well, he does that for the individual at their private judgment after death. So they're not in some kind of limbo state until the end of the world. Mm. But then at the end of the world, we will have a general judgment in which sort of history is laid out for us, and we will see the glorious way that God has acted in history, in individuals and in the history of the world uh, to for bring about his purposes. And we'll see the, the, the blessings received by those who, who, who responded with love, and we will see the judgment received by those who responded with hate. And so that's a different judgment, and that has this more large, larger purpose. Uh, Joanne, is that helpful for you? Well, yes and, and no. Let me ask my question a little bit clearer. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And again, as long as I've been a Catholic, you'd think I would know this. At the moment of death, and I do understand, you know, the the body, death, and, and the soul. So it's the soul that would go to purgatory, or the soul that would go to heaven, that, or the soul that, that would go to the other place. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah. yeah. The, well, I'm the body. That my husband did a little side trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all need to assume that. And his mother said, if you're only shooting for purgatory, be careful. <laughs> Shoot for heaven, and that way when you miss, you at least land in purgatory. <laughs> okay. Yes, indeed. But no, no, I think that's... that's uh, we, we know the people we love generally, and our guesses are good. They may, they may not be landing before the dicastery for saints or anything like that. Uh, but far more will be in heaven than ever pass through the church's formal bodies of canonization, and and uh, you're uh, you're you're quite worthily and and otherwise uh, able to think that of somebody you know to have been a person who sought God and loved God. Joanne, God bless you. God bless your husband as well. Thanks so mm-hmm. much for your call to Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Uh, last call for your call at 833-288-EWTN. If you call right now, we can hopefully get you on today's program. 833-288-3986. Michelle's listening in Kalamazoo on the great Holy Family Radio. Blessed Advent to you, Michelle. What's on your mind today? Thank you for taking my call and out. Part of uh, my question was answered in the, mm-hmm. in the before. Okay. Um, the you know the judging the living and the dead. I don't know. Um, 
One question is, do Protestants believe that they will be judged uh, as a rule in general? Mm-hmm. And then at the evening of life, we will be judged on love. I hear this uh, quoted very many times. And That's true, yeah. Since we don't know that when we will die, uh, the fact of judgment kind of scares me. And does that every day, couldn't we make the intention to love as, as best we can? And how can this be fleshed out in our daily life? Oh, sure. Well, the, those, are, those are great questions. Uh, let me take the first part of that about the Protestants and then what does it mean to be judged on love. Yes, I think, the remember, the Pro- Protestant reformers, they broke away for the Catholic, from the Catholic Church for perceived errors of theology as they perceived in reading the Bible or perceived abuses in some area as Luther did in decrying the, the approach to doing indulgences uh, of his day. Uh, at least the things that were said about it, if not the the fact of yeah. it. So those are the reasons. But I think as, as a general matter, the Protestant ch- churches, the main churches, certainly understand that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. And they also believe, based on the Scripture itself quite clearly, uh, the importance of uh, love of neighbor and what will happen to you if you don't. Now, in the modern era, however, and I think, and this is not just true of Protestants, but also Catholics, Mm. uh, in the modern era, people tend to see, you know, well, God is such a loving grandfatherly father that he can't possibly send anybody to hell. So, you know, I'm going to try my best, but I don't have to work too seriously at at it. Uh, So, you know, really... That in the mm. end there is effectively no judgment. That's sort of a modern a modern preconception of things. I don't think there's any cl- thing classically Protestant about that at all. Now there are some strains of, of the Protestant uh, Protestant theology which would suggest that well once you have accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. It's a one-and-done thing. You can't go back on that. You're good to go. You're good to go. I'm not sure why St. Paul was so concerned about his uh, salvation, you know, that he was prepared to be condemned, you know, and for the sake of those he was trying to help. Uh, But obviously, at some point in time, somebody decided that, well, let's just take this glorious assurance and run with it. And this will say basically uh, canonize, canonize us while we're here on earth. We can't do a thing so bad that God would say, well, I've changed my mind about you. And of course, God doesn't change his mind about us. It's we who change our mind and start sinning against him unrepentantly. That's who's changing their sure, mind in those situations. Sure. So there has to be consequences in that. Now, the final element of that is, okay, we'll be judged. What will we be judged? Will we be judged by rule keeping? Well, I've meticulously kept all of the canon laws. I'm surely going to heaven. Or I've meticulously done all of this. You know, I've paid my tithe. I've, I've done whatever it is. We are told by Christ precisely how we will be judged, and it is indeed on love. And that's in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, where he has the story of the judgment of the nations. How when the Son of Man will come in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and before him he will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep. And then he goes on to talk about how you treated the poor, how you treated the naked, how you treated the sick, how you treated the prisoner. 
In other words, in the end, your judgment will be on love. This is why the church says we are not saved by faith alone. We are saved by faith. We are, of course, saved by hope because it's hope in God and in Christ that will save us. And we are saved by love, how we manifest our faith and our hope in loving our neighbor. And that's what the church says when we are, we are saved by love. And ultimately, we will be judged on it. Because, as James says, have all the faith in the world. Yeah. And you don't have love. You're out of luck, buddy. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, SpongeBob would just, say, just, well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. And there's some asbestos suits over here, but they won't do you much good. Not really. Michelle, thanks so much uh, for your call today. It's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. This weekend, we've got Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis for you. That's uh, coming up on Saturday, tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. This week, we revisit Joan's interview with Father John Paul Kimes, canon law professor at Notre Dame and a member of the Historical Commission for the Cause of Canonization of Servant of God, Joseph Dutton. Should be a fascinating program. Check it out tomorrow, uh, early in the morning, 5 a.m. Eastern, and later in the evening, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, only on EWTN Radio. Let's go now to Elizabeth, a first-time caller in Oregon, listening on the EWTN app. Blessed Advent to you, Elizabeth. What's on your mind today? Thank you, and to you as well. I wanted a follow-up question mm-hmm. to a couple questions back. Sure. Where in Scripture can I find support for the personal and general judgment teaching? Uh, the personal judgment, I, I would put it here, uh, at least initially in the Sermon on the Mount. And I use this uh, a good deal for, I mean, it, it fits a lot of things that everything that Jesus said was a treasure, a pearl of great price, not to be treated materially and carnally alone. When he said, settle with, uh, settle with your enemy before you get to the judge, lest the judge throw you in prison, mm. and you won't get out until you've paid your last penny. Now, who's the judge there? Is he talking about the judge here down in Birmingham at the circuit court, or is he talking about the nine uh, robed individuals sitting in the Supreme Court in Washington or at some U.N. tribunal? No. Christ is the judge. He's never very far from his mission, and this is certainly in the midst of it. He will judge us. And the judgment will necessarily be individual. It won't be all you Americans over here and all you Brits over here and all you, you know, uh, you people in Alabama in this other place or anything like that. No, it's necessarily individual. And so there we go to the, you know, the Hebrews. It is appointed to man to die once, and we all die once. Uh, there's no re- reincarnation, for example. That's a good text for that uh, question. Yeah. And after which the judgment. So after us, after our death, the judgment. So um, I'm not sure what what verse in Hebrews that is. I think it's in chapter one somewhere. Um, so that's that's an, another one that point points to that. And it's quite clear too when you look at all uh, look at the way the gospel proceeds. That Jesus is clear that he doesn't come today to come to do away with justice, but rather justice be transformed by love. So we can't say, well, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't act justly, but I loved. Well, the two are the same because in God, they are the same. 
Sure. So they have, they have to be treated equally and together. So we know that we each must answer for that. And that is also the, the in, in, in Matthew 25, is he only talking about the end of the world? We know it's quite clear he's talking about the end of the world there. But what, are we just waiting from the time we die personally until the end of the world to receive the judgment of about love that is rendered there about the sick and the poor and the prisoner and so on? No, that again has to be. Now, there is always in these questions the question of on whose authority these are interpreted a particular way. And this is where you get back to the church. And this is where you get back to what St. Peter said in his letter, you know, that private interpretation is not the way to go. The church has a tradition on these things. And the, church, the church's authority, going back to the apostles, and repeating what other the other fathers of the church said, repeating what the bishops of the medieval period said, repeating what the church says today. Always the same message. We will each be judged, and then there will be the glorious judgment at the end. And the glorious judgment uh, is, is that we might, that all things work for the glory of God. So after we've received our glorious or ignominious judgment, you might say, call it that, uh, because it'll be either good for us or bad for us. Mm-hmm. There will be the judgment by which God receives all glory, and that will be when Christ comes in glory. And he has pointed us to that day as, as a day in which through him the Father will receive all the glory that he uh, is due for his plan of salvation worked out in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's it's not only there in Scripture, but it's reasonable, it's logical, and you'd even say it's necessary that yes. it work out this way. Yes, indeed. For God's purposes to be known by all and to know why they received the judgment that they did. Elizabeth, is that helpful for you? Yes, thank you very much. I wish you both a, a blessed Advent and Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. Appreciate and you too. Thank appreciate you so you, much. And we appreciate your call today. It's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Scott is watching us on YouTube this afternoon. Scott says, does the New Testament have to compete in the shadow of every parallel, complete the shadow in every parallel. I beg your pardon. For example, eating the lamb in the Old Testament Passover and now eating the Eucharist. I bring this up because my Protestant friends say the sacrifice ended at the cross and no other parallels need to be completed. (laughs) You get all that? Yeah, I did. Well, if, if Christ completed them all, then as he's saying that that one thing satisfies all this time God spent revealing all this to the Jews about the nature of religious worship, of the, of the divine service, mm. and doing it in figures and in edifices and by garments and by ceremonies and by the ark and all, that all of these things are simply, okay, we're done. We're done with this. It is completed in Christ. It is completed on the cross. And the church is still, after 2,000 years, trying to figure out all the, com- all the ways in which it was done. And as we were just talking about the general, we may not absolutely see it with clarity until the end, when God basically wraps it all up in a big bow and says, here, my work is done. 
It's my is now your Sabbath rest, and supernaturally, it's in it's my Sabbath rest because the salvation and the renewal and the recreation of the universe is completed now. Yeah. So that this is this is the difficulty that we we go into when we start trying to um, make generalizations. It's not the generalizations that count. It's getting into the specifics in how was the sacrifice, how was the sacrifices of thanksgiving completed? Yeah. We have a new sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's called the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. How are the remembrances of the old law? The Passover was a remembrance in which they thought to be alive. They set a place for Elijah, looking to the future, and they used words which suggested that the the Passover was taking place on the Jews in that room in that day. Their idea of remembrance was very concrete as a living remembrance. It's even more so in the church because through the power of God, the Eucharist is a living remembrance memorial of Calvary. So it's not that Calvary was won and, and finished, but that Calvary continues not by new sacrifices, but by the one sacrifice presented to every human being who comes forward and says to Christ, feed me, Lord, feed me. Mm. Whether they lived in the day of our Lord at the, in his day or whether they live in our day or they live a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, the Eucharist will be there to feed them as surely as the apostles were fed at the Last Supper. So that's why, yes, it was done. It is finished, historically, but it's no longer, it's still real, and it'll be continued to be presented for the benefit of those who come to Christ until the end of the world. Okay. Scott, we hope that's helpful for you. Thanks for watching us on YouTube this afternoon on uh, Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. I think we have time for one more from Melanie in Clearwater, Florida. She says, hello, I was baptized chrismated and received communion in the Greek Orthodox Church. I attended the Divine Liturgy every Sunday. I now feel a calling to convert to the Catholic faith. I have started attending a Mass at a Latin Rite Church. My local Catholic parish is not quite sure what to do with me. <laughs> There's a lot of confusion, and they have spent a lot of time looking for answers. They did think to put me into the RCIA program. I had thought I would need to convert into an Eastern Rite Catholic Church, but I'm not sure which would be an equivalent to Greek Orthodox. Can you provide mm -hmm. any guidance? And what is required for me to convert? And again, that's from Melanie in Clearwater. Okay. Uh, the, the will. You've said you've already been baptized. You've already been confirmed. Yes. You've already received your first communion. And the church recognizes all of those. I would say... Uh, I, I'm surprised you're having trouble with the clarity. I think there are general practices in this. Uh, I don't want to, I don't know that I know the thoroughness of it all in mm -hmm. any case. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would think, yes, there are churches. So, for example, Greek Orthodox, um, we think of the, many of the churches use the same liturgy, the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, for example, uh, used by the Greeks, used by the Romans. Uh, used in the U Ukrainian Catholic Church, in the Ruthenian Catholic Church, in the Melkite Catholic Church. Uh, so all of those would be suitable. It depends if your origin is Middle Eastern or if your origin is Slavic. You might be inclined to one or the other. 
the likelihood that in your town necessarily there is a church of that right is another matter. Yeah. So you may find, like many Catholics do of the Eastern rites, uh, that uh, you will be predominantly going to mass and confession and so on in, uh, you know, in a Roman in a Latin rite parish, mm-hmm. simply because that what's that what's available in in your town. Now, if you lived in Birmingham, you'd have a lot of choices. Yeah, <laughs> you got the Maronites, you got the Melkites, <laughs> so uh, as well as well as us Romans. So you could uh, make a broader choice there. I, I would say, uh, depending on. I, I would say talk to in your diocesan office somebody with some authority and talk to them about it. Uh, I think it might be very, you feel more comfortable converting to one of the Eastern rites. I would think of this as more sort of sliding over into it than really conversion, although it is. Mm, yeah. um, and whether that's even a reality. But keep in mind that even if you are received, and that's about all that needs to be done here, is mm-hmm. received into the Catholic Church, whether it's at the Easter Vigil or in some other circum- situation, to have that formal acknowledgement and acceptance, uh, then you would still have you would still be able to go to I- any of the Eastern liturgies, as we here in Birmingham could go to the Maronites sure. or the Melkites uh, as we as we wish. So I think. Talk to somebody at the diocese, go into a little bit deeper. If they don't know, there are surely eparchies of the Eastern Catholic Churches they could ask who deal with these kinds of questions regularly. Um, I believe there's probably some uh, law on the matter, uh, but I, I'm simply not that familiar with it. A law on that, interesting. Well, we have the Code of Canon Law uh-huh. for the Roman Rite, and we have the Code of Canons of the Eastern Churches. Mm. How... If, if any of that is spoken of, it's probably in the Code of Canons with Eastern Churches. But I don't know that that's the case. Okay. But I'm saying there, there probably is other norms beside what are in Codes of Canon Law uh, that may be of help to those who know where to look and can actually do that. Very good. Uh, Melanie in Clearwater, Florida, which is, after all, a pretty big area, not too far from Tampa, St. Petersburg. So uh, hopefully they can, there's, there's a way for you. So, Melanie, thanks so much uh, for your email. Colin Donovan, a fast-moving hour. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome. And I hope that you have a a wonderful weekend and uh, the blessed rest of Advent, even though there's not much of it. Hope you enjoy all of it. Not much. Not Not much much. left. You do. Don't forget at this time, thank you, don't forget at this time on Monday, we're going to bring you uh, Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. And then, of course, later on, Father Wade Menezes on Tuesday, Father Mitch Pacwa on Wednesday. Uh, It'll be... uh, Mm-hmm. Father Brian Milady on Thursday, and then Colin bringing us back next Friday. On behalf of our producer, Michael McCall, and all of our great team here, I'm Tom Price. You have that great weekend as well. See you next time on Open Line. God bless. Yeah.